You are listening to The Riding, NFL DFS podcast with Pat James. Welcome, everybody, to The Ride In DFS and Betting podcast lineup review edition for week 14, although it will be more of a how I build cash lineups edition. Because, as you guys know, I was in uh, New York City for mm, the entire day Sunday. So, you know, normally I come on here and say, you know, I don't know, Philip Dorsett was, it was good process, bad result, because he dropped a touchdown, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't watch the games, right? So I don't have, usually I, I take mental and sometimes even physical notes to, to for this lineup review pod. And I have more of an understanding of how my team did or why it failed or why it succeeded. Um, so I checked my lineup three times while I was in New York City. At 2.30, it was basically the best lineup on the site. It was all the way to the right, all the way in the green. Couldn't be better outside of maybe like 50 other teams crushing it. Then I checked again at four o'clock right before the uh, second games kicked off. Doing a little worse, but still well inside the money. I thought I would, was going to be okay, but I did only have Greg Dulcich in the four o'clock game. So I knew it might be, you know, a scratch and claw to the finish. And then I checked it as we were getting in the car to drive home at about 7.30, 8 o'clock. And I was just a tick outside of the cash line in most double ups. Um, so needless to say, if I was at home watching my currently winning go backwards from start to finish of the NFL day, I would have probably been very irritated. So I'm glad I spent that day with my family in New York City. Um, Like I said, I scaled back on my money in play because I wasn't going to be at my computer um, at lock or throughout the day really to even pay attention to swaps and stuff like that. So the lineup was, I ended up for the second week in a row, it ended up being like the heavily duped lineup. It was the lineup that all the quote-unquote Sharks who play like $10,000 double ups landed on. Um, I didn't do that purposely, but it's just what fell into place. It was the puzzle pieces that fell into place. And I will talk about how to go about how I go about personally creating my my um, cash lineup. I had a DM this week uh, from a listener that asked me to kind of go into detail about how I land on a cash lineup. It's a little bit of science. It's a little bit of art. I'll tell you that. But I figured since I don't have a narrative or, you know, uh, really a way to review my lineup without watching the games, I'll just go into, we use this episode to talk about how I specifically create a cash lineup. Um, but New York was a good time. It it did rain a little bit, which wasn't great, but it wasn't like a torrential downpour or anything that was made our, made our trip, um, you know, not a good time or anything like that. 
I will say that, you know, we did all the normal stuff, ice skating in Bryant Park, Rockefeller Center Tree, uh, visited all the toy stores, FAO Sports, you know, had some pizza, classic New York City stuff. I will say, though, the American Girl doll store. You know, my daughter's turning seven. They have the best grift going. And, you know, there aren't a ton of American Girl doll stores around the country. So if we ever order one, it's online. So her being in the store was like literally sensory overload. It was, it's a massive store. You can like look at all the dolls. There's things for you to do. You can play with some things. Unbelievable place like girls dreamland. You can go to the salon. You can go to the spa at this doll store. Um, We did all the things, right? But there is not a price tag on one box, in this entire store, right? You go around this whole store loading up your cart or your bag and you, it's like register roulette when you get to the end. You have no clue. And it's all by design. It's, it's an absolute, it's a grift. They know exactly that, you know, they know parents are a little bit looser with their money in New York City because most people are coming far from far and wide and it's a special day or it's a special weekend And they're willing to spend a little bit more. Oh, we're in New York City. Anything for the kids. That type of thing. Right? You're not at the Target that's 10 minutes from your house. Where you're there every week. And you have to slap your kid's hand off the toys that they try to pick up every time. It's different. You're in New York City. You'll spend. You'll open the wallet. That'll open the wallet. But the grift continues at the register where they don't have a screen to show you the total that is being rung up, right? You don't know. They're just boop, 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 booping all the dolls, booping all the accessories. And, you know, if you're at a grocery store or wherever, Walmart, if you're at pretty much any other store on planet Earth, you can see each thing that's being rung up. If you're at McDonald's, you could see it. You can see everything is being rung up and how much it's going to be, right? But if they did that at this place, parents are probably like, whoa, no, Put that back. No, put that back. So you don't know. Then they nicely wrap everything up, hand your daughter this big glittery bag with all her dolls in it. And at that point, you're pot committed. What are you going to say? No? What are you going to put the bag on the counter and rip some dolls out of it? Absolutely not. So when they when they look at you with a shit-eating grin, like the butler in Home Alone 2 at the Plaza Hotel desk and say 650 you just got to fork it over and i have to say my daughter's not someone who ever asks for anything um her birthday is 3 days after christmas so she kind of gets screwed with that because you know most people you know just buy her something and say oh that's your christmas and your birthday gift or whatever so we don't do that but you know Just having a birthday that close to Christmas, she kind of gets screwed. So this was kind of her birthday present, us taking her to New York City and showering her with stuff. Um, But nonetheless, you know, good time. I know you guys really don't care. Anyway, by the way, what I'm doing right now is what I hate what other podcasts do. We're seven minutes into this podcast, and I haven't gotten to the the topic of it yet. I apologize, because I hate... When I'm listening to a podcast and I look down and like 18 minutes has gone by and they're just shooting the shit still. And 
irks the shit out of me. That's why this podcast is short and to the point. But sometimes I have a little tangent to go on. Okay. So, real quick, um, my lineup was Jared Goff, Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard, Joe Mixon. I told you guys that I wanted to jam in those three guys, those three running backs. I did. Um, I, I told you that I also wanted to monitor St. Brown and Garrett Wilson. Got those guys in. And then, you know, it just like the when, once the puzzle is in place, once six out of the nine pieces are in place, the other three just kind of fit in. Um, you know, I didn't love Tony or I didn't love Philip Dorsett. I liked Chris Brown way more. I told you guys that, but I just needed the $400. So I went down to really what I should have played was Chris Brown and Chigo Conquo instead of Dulcich and Philip Dorsett. But I would be lying if I said that was like some type of, of decision for me. I, I had Dulcich, I had, um, Dorsett and I had the Steelers defense, uh, one, somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 56% of head to heads, I believe, um, 55, 56%. It was right at the cash line and double ups. It's a loss of a week though. Uh, the record goes down to nine, four and one. Uh, we will, I really hate that I've been duped and not that it's a big deal, but anytime like you're in a massive train like that, the odds that you're going to chop, right? The odds that 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 you're going to cross the 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 fifty fifty like cash line threshold are really good. So it either has to be like a really good team or you're not getting all that money. So I, I'm not gonna try to. I'm not gonna go out of my way to try to be different um, from what I think is like the most duped lineup. But I really just hope that there's weeks. These next couple weeks are weeks where it's not like the cash team is obvious or like the nine values are super obvious. But anyway, let's talk about how I create my cash lineup. Uh, Like I said, it's a little bit of a science and the science is in the beginning of the week. So before I look at anybody's input, anybody's projections, anybody's write-up, I, when, as soon as the salaries drop, I go through and jot down my top picks, right? I look at the quarterbacks and say, these guys are the best guys or the best values, in my opinion, at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. I put a little star next to the guys that I think are probably core plays because of their matchup. Um, I delve into a little bit into the matchups, that type of thing. Try not to look at projections or have anybody else's input. Once I have a player pool for cash narrowed down, then I look at uh, John Paulson's projections on four for four right he has our lineup generator has a value metric that is based on it's a formula that's based on their salary and their salary based expectation it's not just a point per dollar type thing because when that happens you you tend to get a lot of 3k guys uh if you like run lineups with with just point per dollar you tend to get a lot of three 3k guys because you know it's easy to have it's easy to have 3x value when you're only 3k, right? Cuz 9 points is not crazy for a 3k guy. But it is it is crazy. Like 27 points, 30 points is kind of crazy for a 9 or 10k guy, right? So the, there's a scale of of value that is acceptable in cash based on your salary. Nonetheless, that's our 
that's what I do next. I look at John Paulson's. He's, he's, I consider him the Bret Hart of projections and rankings, right? There were some guys that were great. There's some guys that are great and there's some guys that are going to be great, but he's been doing it for so long. He is the best, the best, he is the Bret Hart. The best there is, the best there was, and potentially the best there ever will be. He's like ranked inside the top five in terms of projections and ranking players every single year. So I trust his stuff. I obviously work at four for four. Um, you know, I'm in the Slack there. I'm in the um, the Discord there. I pick John's brain a little bit. I see where I match it up. I match up and see like a lot of the times we have the same guys, right? When I sort by value, the same guys that I have pegged are the guys at the top. Now, there is a value metric attached to these guys. And sometimes there's a massive discrepancy, right? Like this week, Derrick Henry had a pretty big value metric uh, in terms of the relative to the second place running back. So he that's why he made a core play. That's why he was a why I thought he was a really good play, right? I checked him as a play that I thought was good in cash. John had him as a really good value over the second place running back. But, you know, I've been in this industry for almost 10 years and I've written at a ton of sites, roto grinders, football guys, fantasy points. I mean, the list is absolutely endless. Um, Sites that are now defunct. Uh, I can't even think of the one daily site that I used to write college for. Nonetheless, I am, you know, I have access to a lot of sites, premium content. So what I do is there's a few other people who make projections that I trust that I think have really accurate projections that I have access to because I've written for their site or they've given me like a complimentary password, whatever. I aggregate projections. I aggregate John's projections with a few other sites that I trust and get a a mean projection and a ceiling projection. I like to look at ceiling projections a little bit as well. So now it's not only John's thoughts, but it's my thoughts compare, compared with uh, John's thoughts. And then I add in a few more and I aggregate those projections. So now I'm, you know, I'm taking out my biases. That's what I'm trying to do here in in creating this cash lineup because I know that I I tend to lean towards certain guys. Like I really like Amandre St. Brown, right? So if I star Amandre St. Brown and he's not at the top of John's projections and he's not at the top of these other guys' projections, I know that I have to kind of take a harder look at that and wonder is it just because I am biased towards him? I own him in the dynasty league. I own him in my redraft league, in my keeper league, like, do I just like Amandra Brown too much, Amandra St. Brown too much, and that's why I think he's a good play this week. So that sometimes comes up. Then there's other things, like I missed an injury on Sunday, and a guy is popping in John's model, and I have no clue why. I look into it, and it's because he's he's going to be, you know, thrust into a more prominent role this week. From there, I put in my core four plays or whoever I think are must plays. Sometimes it's two guys. Sometimes it's six guys, right? And I create optimal lineups on four for four and some of those other sites and see what it gives me. 
Um, I also do try to um, hand build a little bit, um, try to finagle some things, because sometimes optimizers don't always capture the slate or capture what I feel as a slate. But I will take a look at those optimized lineups. And like I said, there is an art to it too. If I personally have an opinion that someone that is projected on 4 for 4 or another site deserves a higher projection and it's a site where you can't edit projections, I'll personally, you know, make that 2v2 swap in my lineup. Um, and then I'll play with it. Uh, I'll play with different locking in different guys and running different optimizations. I will hand build. I'll, I'll like click through things um, and try to, you know, basically put the puzzle together with that quote unquote cash shell already in, right? Like I know at the beginning of the week, probably about six guys that are going to be in my cash lineup, you know, between Tuesday and Saturday, I probably have about six guys locked in that I think are really good plays. And then it's a matter of just landing on the other three. A lot of times the slate dictates where I go, right? Like when I'm, when I'm writing down my top picks for the week, if I don't have any running backs or wide receivers under 5,800, well, then I know that it's probably going to be a week where I have to go cheap at quarterback and, you know, punt at tight end because there just isn't an option. Then there was that week that like two weeks ago where the core plays were three running backs between five and 5,800. So now you're playing stud wide receivers. You can pay up for quarterback. So the slate often dictates it based on the value that has opened up, right? If all of a sudden, you know, like for instance, if they like mistakenly priced Tyler Huntley at 4K or 5K this week and there was no other cheap running or cheap quarterbacks, then he was a lock and then you can spend up everywhere else, right? So things, the slate kind of dictates where you go with your top picks, after you lock in that cash shell. And then I do use other people's projections. Um, I never want to make all those decisions myself. Um, obviously, I don't know everything. Um, I don't make projections myself. So I need to, you know, quote unquote, gather up the wisdom of the crowd. And I will never, and here's one thing though, I will never play. So it's a bell curve. I shouldn't say I will never. There's a certain point where I'll just say, all right, this guy's going to be 89% owned because he's like 4K and now he's the starter. Or this defense is going to be 70% owned. I'll just slot them into cash and try to fight my battle somewhere else. Because if they go off, I'm completely wrecked. I might as well just try to win at another position that isn't such a great value. But that is a bell curve, right? You know, there's a point where like 70% owned and I don't love anybody else at the position, 80% owned, even 60% owned, I don't love everybody everybody else at the position. Yeah, they get slotted in. But I'm not going to just, you know, play the chalkiest lineup or the lineup that I think is the chalkiest, right? Some guys, and I know this like can be an issue with some guys creating cash lineups, like they, they kind of paralyze themselves by thinking like, oh no, like, you know, 
Derrick Henry is going to be 38% owned, which he was this week. But I like Austin Eckler, and he's going to be 15% owned. Some people will play Derrick Henry just because he's more owned. They think that, like, the quote-unquote wisdom of the crowd or, you know, the kind of the consensus is smarter than they are. Most of the time, that will be the case. But if you have a strong conviction on that on that play, then go for it. That's how I feel about it. Um, I'll only just, like, set it and forget it, like, slot a guy in or slot a defense in, even though I don't think that, like, it's a great play. If it's going to be massively owned and I don't love anybody else at that price point and they make things work, that's fine. So basically, that is how I go about setting cash lineups. A lot of times, the art of it is coming down to a 2v2 that I like or a 3v3. Uh, but most of it is pretty, you know, quantitatively based where I am using projections and using the guys that I think are going to be the best plays on the slate, running some optimizations through our 4 for 4 generator finding lineups that it's created that I liked, comparing them. Um, But then the art of it is, you know, coming down to that final 2v2 because sometimes I will like a player more than the projection does and I'm confident in in my, um, you know, my dissection of the situation, I guess we'll say. But that'll do it. Um, Good news my school district has already called two snow days for Thursday and Friday. So I will undoubtedly be able to do a podcast for the three-game slate and for the full slate. I don't know if it's going to be the same podcast or two different podcasts, but I will definitely be able to get to those probably tomorrow, definitely Friday, if not. And I do have a lot of time to devote to researching, um, before the podcast, like sometimes I will, you know, not be able to delve in hard until Saturday night. So the actual preliminary podcast is a little bit more like skeletal outline based than my Sunday show, which is way more in depth because I've done all my research to that point. But anyway, Uh, hope you guys had a successful week 14. I will talk to you tomorrow or Friday with the Saturday and Sunday slate. We're almost there. Nine, four and one through 14 weeks. We have four weeks left. The worst, absolute worst we can do is nine, eight and one, which would probably be like a dead push for the season because, you know, of rake. Even winning one one more week than losing would probably we probably get a, raked there a little bit. Um, but my hope is that we 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 crush. My hope is that we crush, and we go like thirteen four and one. That would be that would be huge. That would probably tie the one of the best years. It was way softer like seven years ago. Like it was it wasn't um, uncommon to win like fifteen out of the seventeen weeks. But things are people are sharper now. It's harder to grind it out. But we've done a good job so far, and hopefully we finish strong. All right, see you guys.